Hey, this is Wade, and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. It's been a busy week of recording. We are now here on a somewhat cold Milwaukee Wednesday in my office, also known as our school year studio. And uh, we are going to be talking about anthropology, and we're going to introduce our guest in just a moment, but I am joined by Mike. We are recording during the school day. Any finals today, Mike? I'm done, and in fact, all of my gra- all of my right. grading is done as well. Well, good, so you can help me out. Uh, I am done as well, but my grading is not done. I've got a number of papers to go through yet. But we are going to be recording on anthropology today, and the target date for that to go out is... January 1st. And just a couple words here at the beginning as that approaches. That will be after the Christmas season, so our Advent devotions and the O Antiphons will be done. Um, but we will still have, somewhat recently having come out, uh, the Winging It series on Luther. We're going to have three episodes drop here in the next couple weeks from recording, and then we'll have uh, one a week after that, and we're doing the life of Luther so far. It's gone so far. So it's gone well. Uh, it's been Mike and I in my office. We're trying to stick to about 30 to 35 minutes, and we've gotten up to his time in the university, and we'll be recording a little bit more later today on that. But I'd encourage you to check that out, and as always, um, even though we forget to remind you almost every time when it's Mike and I, since Peter's the one who's good at saying this, would encourage you to subscribe if you're digging the podcast, um, rate it, review it, like it. Uh, most importantly, share it. That goes a long way when someone uh, shares something that shows that it's a conversation that matters to you and hopefully someone else will find it interesting. Um, we are trying to keep building momentum and most importantly, growing the conversation. We've had some really good feedback come in by email on Facebook and Twitter, uh, even on Instagram where we have a, a new page or whatever you call it on Instagram. I'm not sure yet. Um, I do know uh, my meme game has really been elevated by getting on Instagram. Nick has, has showed me all the right places to look for that. Um, but we really do appreciate it. It goes a long way. So please do think about subscribing, rating, reviewing, liking, sharing, especially subscribing, I just make sure you're getting that as a, a regular download and maybe it reminds you to at least uh, give it a look, see if it's worth a listen. We've had a number of episodes with good guests come out recently and we're keeping that up, including today. Um, so please do keep that in mind. With that being said, uh, we have a guest today to talk anthropology and we'll get in what we mean about that because some of you theology nerds might be hearing that and thinking something entirely different. Uh, you might be thinking, great, Wade's going to get off Lation again and talk original sin. Uh, but we have a, a colleague, uh, someone who's actually done Pauline epistles with me. So we've been in the New Testament together. We, right. We've done war um, with the devil uh, by the Spirit and the Word. And uh, is uh, is someone who has one of the coolest classroom labs on campus, even though I'm not allowed to touch anything. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Ned Farley. Um, I am a professor of anthropology here at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Uh, in terms of my background, it's, it's in what's referred to as general anthropology which is uh, really dates back to the, the start of the discipline. It's kind of a four-field approach towards studying the interaction between uh, human biology and culture. Um, in terms of my professional life, um, after finishing up my undergrad, I got into contract archaeology and uh, wore out my body uh, doing that for a number of years, traveling to Kansas, traveling to Connecticut, and then eventually back here to Wisconsin. Um, I started with uh, Wisconsin Lutheran College in 2006 as an adjunct professor, um, and then uh, eventually they brought me on in 2009 and 10. So it's been really a real blessing, and uh, 
and seeing how the Lord kind of connects all the dots has been really uh, wonderful as well. And where'd you do your uh, your work, uh, undergraduate and graduate? Where'd you go to school? Right. So I started out at UW-Milwaukee um, and uh, ended up taking a class in anthropology as a freshman. I needed a humanities. And so I sat in on the class. I didn't know anything about anthropology. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lecture on... Uh, in this case, it was coming to age rituals in Nigeria, and I just was blown away by how unique uh, culture could be. Uh, I was very much uh, looking through a lens that I had never looked through before, and I was seeing a world that was extremely diverse. And I was, I, you know, I talked to my instructor and said, "Can you major in this?" And they said, "Yes, actually, I did." Um, and so I went on and, and uh, finished that out. And then I ended up at Wichita State University, so I'm a shocker. Uh, And uh, that's where I really kind of sharpened my teeth with regards to, uh, in this case, uh, archaeology and bioarchaeology, which is a a blend of a couple things I'll tell you about later. Spent three years there and then uh, ended up just working in the field uh, and then came back to UW-Milwaukee to do the PhD and uh, because I realized that the bursitis in my hips and my knees would not allow me to crouch as much as I used to. So I let the younger people take care of that. Now I just get to stand and point, which is nice. <laughs> That's so. why I uh, left the parish ministry, too, as it was <laughs> too many, just taking too a much toll kneeling. on my body. Yeah, it's kneeling. rough, I tell you. Yeah. I, I tell you, the first time we did a, an extended Good Friday service with uh, reproaches and litany and up and down, up and down, oh. I was sore. For, yeah. But uh, the second time I did it, I was in better shape, so it was good to go. Yeah. Yeah. You trained for it? I trained for it all Lent. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Excellent. Well, uh, lest we stretch out the introduction too much, Mike, why don't you go ahead and give us our disclaimer, which makes us, uh, no one can sue us, no one can really criticize us. We're not really responsible for anything. It's like Vicar Year. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will th- be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. back for our free-for-all. We have a very serious one today. We're going to ask the question... I thought I was going to introduce the free-for-all, Mike, but I guess go ahead. Um, we're going to ask the question, what would be your uh, what, entrance music? Your what would be your personal intro song? Intro song. So, like, if you think about going to a baseball game, somebody's on deck, and then they come to the they come to the plate, they all have their own individual songs. But we're talking about, like, when you enter a room. And especially, like, I would say when you're like a baseball player to the plate you're about mm-hmm. to do a professional thing mm-hmm. especially for us maybe we're coming into the classroom uh maybe you're about to teach a bible class somewhere mike mm-hmm. um you're about to take the students on a dig and you're you know about to walk to the to the site I, I really like this this is more than just like you know your personal ringtone you know who's who's calling but we have the technology in fancy houses where like you walk through and the lights turn on and the music follows you yeah so we could probably have facial recognition and you knew who was coming and what 
song and you could have ones for like different rooms like the dining room or whatever so we could even think about what class we're teaching you know like i'd do enter sandman for finals week right and i would wait until the last second like be like 30 seconds late right so you you have like a mood setting on your yeah yeah i guess i would do something uh probably from maybe the the uh from rush uh, like those power trios, they yes. always get the adrenaline flowing, yes. and you know it keeps students awake. You know, so you start up with you know, maybe Tom Sawyer or something like that uh, as you walk in. You have to have a really good introduction too. It has to be you know real drawn out, lots of th- synthesizers, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think if we're if we're going like we're going to pump them up, I think that's the direction we're mm-hmm. all going. Because I mean, there could be specific class themes where I'd go something a little bit more mellow. Sure. You know, sure. Um, like if I wanted them to feel really at ease but i think if i just get one song and i really want to pump people up i'm going to go with probably the best pump up song i know um mike you want to go ahead and guess what artist <laughs> can i guess too go ahead I, i'm going to go with queen uh you're one you're no darn it led zeppelin you, oh yeah that's what the first you would pick for me mike yeah. I, I Zeppelin is good. Yeah. Kid yeah. Rock. Oh, Kid oh, Rock. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I would Detroit. go with, I don't know yep. how to say it, but Bawadaba. Oh, man. That Ba-da-ba. sounds, yeah. That is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. We can't play it or else we'll get in copyright you know, issues. Right. But that's always a good one. Like if it comes up at a sure. sporting event, it starts to get me pumped. Sure. But uh, it kind of builds slowly. And yeah. then you could have the music play. And then I, I can't remember all the lyrics that probably get inappropriate, but you could cut it off mm-hmm. right before it got mm-hmm. too much into the lyrics. But um, that I'm thinking, would be yeah. I'm thinking Alan Parsons too. You know, they did that for Michael Jordan when he always came on. Yeah, that's on board. a good one. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It uh, and then if I, if I were going to preach, I think I would Ooh. do uh, um, let's get ready to rumble. Oh yeah, yeah. Would that be or is that not a song? As long as you lead off with law. <laughs> yeah. <I think> that's <laughs> <good>. <laughs> You know, just and then maybe maybe having you know an intermission where you bring in something that and then right behind that the gospel. You know, uh-huh. you know, it's, there's got to be some place for the. I fi- think John Denver would be like good background gospel. Yeah, music. yeah. The, the final countdown would be you know. Oh yeah. At some point, yeah. Some point in your life that would be that would be good. <laughs> um, you know, I. What would you do for like the Luther class? Would you do something from like? Would you have a lute or something yeah. like that? No, I would want to go modern still. I would want to oh. pump up for the Luther class because I feel like all the big questions, you know, he's taking everybody on. What's the um what's the one with uh Kevin James, the 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 guy built like me, the heavier guy and he's a teacher and he's going to fight people to raise money oh, for the school. Oh, school of rock. No, I'm thinking No, of it's rock. uh and it, I think he comes up to like boom, uh, get out the way. I think <laughs> oh, that'd be a, yeah. a good Luther yeah, one too. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> So yeah, um, please, uh, listeners, uh, and and we do get some responses from this time to time when we ask a question. Is please send us your personal intro song. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, for and us if we to can know. ever get Peter to pay for us to use copyrighted material, there you go. Then we yeah. could start using some of these. But there you go. Apparently, it costs a lot, and he's got to take care of the baby. Mm. <laughs> so yes, Ben and Peter both have have infants at home, so right, uh, they're in that world. Yeah, there's a lot of work. So there's not work. a whole lot of intro songs, I would imagine, going... Uh, it, no. It, we should have thought of intro quietly. songs for Peter and Ben when they're not here, though. That would have been fun. <laughs> you know, we we should have uh, Dr. Zima on. We, we've, we, have, we haven't talked to him about this, but we have contemplated asking him to compose... No, I've, 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 I've floated the idea by him, and he, he seemed to think it was doable. 
he, he especially wants to work in trash goat. That's one of his favorite <laughs> things we've talked about is having lawn goat and trash goat. But oh. then there could be intro music sure. as well if he if he has the time. And somehow it, it'd, be, it'd be difficult to get that at the right point, but like the first time... Wade speaks or something like that. And you we could have, have something natural too, like the the call of a loon in the distance, <laughs> you know, and, or or the you know, I don't know what an eagle, what they call the the uh, the call of an eagle, but you could have that in the background too. Uh, maybe some Springsteen. It uh, yeah, with eagle behind it. There you go. I think what I actually asked him to do is I wanted him to do a song about trash goat and chlamydia pig. Um, <laughs> chlamydia pig was. Um, with Henkel's that little room that like if you ever had a guinea pig in that glowing room which he says is not his room the yeah, glowing room I don't know but, a lot of things, but yeah. he's got a lot of chlamydia over there not, yeah. per, not on his person or in his person but um, yeah. for research purposes yeah. yeah but like if there were a guinea pig in there which I don't know why there would be but I just you think of science and I think of guinea mm-hmm. pigs sure and the guinea pig like became like some of the chlamydia spilled in which I'm guessing chlamydia oh, is right. not a liquid like an they origin can spill, story but, yeah. for the guinea pig yeah. and then it becomes I'm thinking right. like a three foot tall now walks on its back feet not all four yep. legs chlamydia pig yep and so, like, chlamydia pig and trash goat go on adventures mm-hmm. because they're both, like, creatures that no one's... You're not drawn to them uh, I would read by the their comment. name or their yeah. approach, but they, they're they yeah. good people. Yeah. They really are good people. Well, they're and, fighting crime. Yeah, yeah. And, and cleaning up the... Uh, I mean, trash Great goat, he, he hates litter. He's always cleaning up. Yep. And, uh, and so, you know what? I don't know, like, chlamydia pig reads stories in the library and... Mm-hmm. But people always judge him, you know, because oh, of the of chlamydia. Yeah. And um, but they, I wanted Zimma to write a song about like their adventures, and so I don't think it was specifically a theme song for this. But mm. we could probably yeah. ask about that too. Well, mm-hmm. and then maybe we can get the English department to start writing some short stories, like maybe even assign this as a uh, for a class short stories about these characters mm-hmm. 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 and develop them and have a character arc and everything. But I think a catchphrase, I mean, catchphrase song would be good. We'd have Ben's uh, Not My Time Zone, hashtag Not My Time Zone. Mm-hmm. The Opposable Thumb is a game changer. That's a theme that's come up a lot. And it it really was. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is yeah. why the gorilla wins a lot of our animal fights. Um, just because of the, the, we, we, the weaponry. It's confirmed by an anthropologist <laughs> right. now. Yeah. It, it's important. The, uh, Grabbing is very important. We were debating Mike really likes to debate these animal fights, and so we were in our Telegram messaging group, and Mike really just oh. rolls his eyes because he thinks it's unsophisticated. But we were debating most recently a shark versus a gorilla, but it's in, like, Jackson Park City pool, so, like, a okay. limited amount of space. I think you'd be you'd be amazed that I would put my money in the shark. See, we were, thinking, we were thinking, though, each of them gets a club, which essentially oh, is not yeah, very useful it. for the shark. Yeah, that changes And it. then, uh, yep. like, it's three feet deep water to six feet or seven feet. Okay. And so which one gets more impatient and goes out of its safety zone first to attack? So the gorilla can climb out of the pool. Yeah, he's going to take off And so we quick. thought the yeah. uh, opposable thumb with mm-hmm. the club mm-hmm. would probably then um, yeah. aid the Yeah, the he, he gets cornered. Yeah, yeah that's going to definitely give him the edge. I'm yeah. trying to think of any other nice... Uh, most of the catchphrases go back to Ben. Well, we have, you know, uh, the Canadian evangelical Oh, thing. yeah, he's very Canadian leave, evangelical. Leave the mass in Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll have to make a list of those. 
but that would be a good song. And again, you know, that is an important point. We are all on this campus one experiment away from becoming either a superhero or a villain. So just uh, keep that in mind, especially right. I in generally stay out of Generac. Yeah, 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 stay away from there. It's, it smells over yeah. there. It's, it's different. It's, it's, it's yeah. cleaner than up here. They clean right. the bathrooms yeah. over there. But, but the fixing agents for some of the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't like being over there. Yeah. I'm not even sure they believe in Jesus over there. <laughs> well, we tried. <laughs> you know, we're still testing that out. No, we're driving, we drive Ned's, that around the block. Ned's the only one, you know, the <laughs> anthropologist is not so... <laughs> He's an anthropologist, and he believes in the Lord? What? <laughs> All right, we're getting a little bit close to uh, probably getting in trouble, so, Mike, why don't we go ahead and uh, take this to the main topic? brings us to our main topic, and we are happy to have Matt here with us to talk about anthropology. Dr. Farley, is are you the only one or one of the only ones with I a am skull the only one. in his classroom? Yes, and I have plenty of crania around, yep. yep. So it's, I it's, believe... It's always um, Halloween. Professor Mull has a, a brain, right? Yes, uh, in so a jar, so it's very, yep. But not, but you have the actual skulls. We do. So if you guys ever yep. combine if powers, we ever combine you could powers. put the brain in the skull. Amen. Do we know, like whose skull it was uh we have uh, well actually we don't have any personal information on any of the remains uh we have more information on certain ones uh, let's say things like ethnicity age um time of death things like that um but most of our crania are categorized uh, in terms of um, a date or time range, uh, in this case, uh, early historic. Uh, and also, we would uh, connect them with a, a subsistence strategy. So were they farmers? Were they hunters and gatherers? Things like that. So not, it's not like somebody from like 1984 nope. or 5? Or... Nope. <laughs> okay. Nope. But it would be interesting, you know, yeah. uh, to see uh, who's all there. <clears throat> we, I, I think we can donate Wade's body. To specifically WLC, we're always I, taking. I think it's donations. already on my license to, to donate whatever. <laughs> Good. Whatever. Good. I don't. I don't. I don't like doctors, and I pretty much plan to, to die as much as possible without going to them. Um, but afterwards, I don't care if they cut me up. It's the, just when I'm alive that right. I really don't have right. Uh, right. a lot of use for. Or them. at the so, time of death, yeah, I'm yeah. not into that. Yeah. No, I mean like even now, like I don't want. If I had to get my appendix out, I think I'd just write it out. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't All like right. going in anything. I will go to the allergy and asthma doctor, but that's it. Okay. Because that's just, they have me blow in some machine. Sure. And then they look in my nose, which is not too invasive. Mm-hmm. I, so I get what you're saying, but appendix, that seems really stubborn to die yeah, of. Yeah, and septicemia people, is not fun. See, my theory I, on all this stuff is we freak out about all this stuff that people for thousands of years never had treated. So... I, don't, I think I could survive my appendix rupturing because people must and, have survived and, it back in the and day. And their life wasn't short, brutish, and violent no, either. I think well, we're mimicking their diets now. We're going to do this caveman diet, whatever. Right. They must have had some things right if everybody wants to 
Well, it is an interesting thing. You know, you look at when we transitioned from collected foods, you know, hunting and gathering or foraging, to farming. Uh, there was a price to be paid, and and one of those, one of the, there were many prices to be paid. One of them was infectious disease. Uh, we saw, you know, decreases in lifespan, quality of life. We saw uh, cavities emerge overnight, uh, and a lot of it had to do with the complexity of our foods. Uh, and today we eat stuff that's not even food. I mean, um, you look at the candies, the sweeteners. Uh, Mike ate a book yesterday. I saw him do it. <laughs> you know, I've tried that. It does not work. Uh, I'm going with John, Johnny Mnemonic is where I'm headed, I think, uh, if they ever have that kind of technology. But, yeah, it, it, you know, and that's something that I'd like to research uh, just because um, I study crania and I look at um, how our growth and development was impacted by farming and, uh, and these domesticated plant resources and, and animal resources. And you do see a change in facial morphology. Uh, things like uh, overbite um, or underbite, these are things that are also kind of the result of uh, this transition. And uh, they have just intensified. So things like, in, you know, uh, everyday kinds of extreme infections of wounds and things like that, we are seeing more prevalent. Yeah. And the cultural differences, too, of course, from wearing that. I even had a theologian, he was incorrect, Brian McLaren, say the real problem with Cain was, or <clears throat> was uh, that he was farming, mm. mm-hmm. that he was doing, doing what we talk grain farming, and the real problem with Babel was be putting itself into a city mm-hmm. rather than being more uh, a rural. He, he was wrong on that, but, but there... The point is that there are certain cultural things that occur because of that too, and and let, let's say that because we naturally yeah. went. To, we should maybe just. Well, describe. I promised my my girls I'd ask one question before we get into. Okay. So right after this, I'll throw to you. You know, explaining everything you do, what your main field. Okay. But uh, so I took my three girls to the Field Museum in Chicago, and they had the mummy exhibit. Oh yeah. And uh, so two of them really enjoyed the mummy exhibit, and one of them was a little freaked out. Right? Mm, and we won't say scary. which one because sure. when she listens to this. She'll freak out that I mentioned her. But at one point they had the, uh, I guess some people in Peru used to put people like in bags. Yeah. They'd like crouch all up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this one of them Mm -hmm. was looking at, you know, holding my hand and, and looking at this and said, what's in the bags? And I said, well, bodies. Mm -hmm. And took like three steps back real quick. But the thing that we saw there that they wanted me to ask about is, uh, so there was, and I can't, I think this was Peru that, that area that this was happening to is they were they would apparently bind their kids skulls so that like, yes so yep. they they yep. think we should have done this with nicholas um <laughs> and so like the the one way they would bind it like there was two big bumps on the back of the head yep so what they wanted me to ask was okay would that have hurt would it have just been slowly your skull growing and it's kind of right you don't notice it because mm-hmm. it's you've been bound so long or would that have been a constant throbbing pain? Do we know? Well, actually, and this is interesting that uh, your children brought this up, uh, that was a research topic that some of our students were looking at. We had two skulls from Peru uh, that we had on loan from the Milwaukee Public Museum. And so you didn't actually get, like, a live baby to do this? No, okay. no, unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, no, but we were taking a look at um, the different uh, styles of deformity, uh, and then we were also taking a look at uh, when this potentially happened. And, and what we're understanding is that generally this would have happened with, they would have started binding the head within the first six months of life. Um, and if you do it at that time, 
uh, both the skeletal anatomy and the the brain itself is plastic enough where you don't get some of the oh sensitivities and uh, uh, migraines and things like that that we associate with uh, cranial injuries in in adults today um, or things like concussion uh, or concussive injuries. Um, so the idea here is that uh, we don't know directly whether it hurt or not, but we are pretty certain that it didn't and that they didn't have um, any sort of side, major side effects. They did this uh, generally uh, for status region, reasons. Um, as you were mentioning, uh, when you have agriculture emerge uh, in uh, a social environment, you know, cities grow and you start to see classes form. Um, you have classes that are forming around the production process. You have classes that, uh, a priestly class, right? You guys are part of the priestly class. Uh, you would have That's the- That's a good one, right? Uh, it's a good one. Okay. I mean, and then you've got the bourgeoisie, right? They're at the top. But the idea here is that they had to find ways of distinguishing themselves. And, uh, and this was one of the ways that people did this. So you ha would have a person here that would have a, and they've done forensic re reconstructions of these skulls. And when they would walk into a room, you would notice them. It would, it would be a very noticeable trait. Yeah, because their head's like all shaped yeah, different than everybody else. Right, yeah. misshapen like that. So all in all, no, it, it probably didn't hurt them, but it, it was something that had to be started very early in life. And how you did it uh, was kind of, uh, there were cultural components to that. Uh, the community that you were a part of would have different styles of, of uh, cranial deformation. Um, and ironically, it's something that is not localized just to Peru. We actually have found evidence in the Neanderthal Valley in, in Germany huh. uh, that Neanderthals themselves had practiced uh, this kind of deformation as That's well. That's interesting because I most weird news, like if when you hear about someone doing something, you're like, well, that's different. Mm -hmm. um, tends to be Germany, Ohio, or Florida. I don't know yep. if you've ever noticed this. Yeah. And so even like the German Neanderthals I were kind of right. They probably had like I imagine like techno music on <laughs> while they're deforming there, their there's heads. There's a so. radio show where they, I think it's a sports show out of Chicago. I think where they have a, a segment where it's called Ohio or Florida, and they <laughs> like a real. A real news story. Can you tell Mike and I are both Michiganders? <laughs> and they and they say, <laughs> and then the question is Ohio or Florida, and then the guest has to go. Oh, I love it. I love it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, Germany. That would be a, a close third. Yeah. So so Ned, why don't before we get too far? Sure. Just for our listeners, like what is anthropology, and uh, you know maybe even walk through real quickly like. Okay, if I was going to be an anthropology major here at sure. WLC, sure. what would I kind of expect? Sure. So, uh, again, anthropology, by definition, is looking at the interplay between culture and biology, specifically human culture and biology. Uh, what it does is it then adds the heritage, our biological heritage, to that uh, interplay or how we study that interplay. Uh, I would say that, uh, and I'm not being, you know, selfish uh, in, in saying this, but anthropology is truly an American tradition when you look at it. A lot of the, the people that were foundational to the discipline were coming from other parts of the world, specifically Europe, uh, people like Franz Boas, for example. But uh, in terms of uh, the growth of the discipline, uh, it was very much of, a, of an American tradition. And so um, 
And it was rooted in the in the concept of preservation. So uh, as an anthropologist, we are, I am, very interested in preserving traditions. And so um, many of the early researchers in the, this would be in the, in the mid uh, to late 19th century, what they would do is they would record um, through field research and observation uh, the traditions of people. Uh, they would also incorporate uh, the history of people uh, into that process. And so um, anthropology grew into a four-field academic discipline. Uh, and, uh, and it did so because we, when you take uh, you know, human culture and biology and you have to break it down to make it something that you can manage through a scientific study. And so we look at language. So there's a branch of linguistic anthropology. We look at living cultures. So there's a sociocultural branch. Uh, there is an archaeological branch, uh, which in Europe is separate. Archaeology uh, in other parts of the globe is its own kind of discipline. Uh, here in the United States, it has been blended into anthropology just because of what we look for and That's what we look at. That's actually really interesting because it seems like normally, at least in what I do, history and theology, the Europeans are more interdisciplinary and kind of lump more things together, but here they kind of segregate these out then. Huh? Yes. Uh, and usually and the Americans are more... Exactly, You yeah. know, you're in your discipline, not across it. So that's actually a, a pretty neat thing then about the yeah. American setting for that. What we were finding is that everything cross-pollinates, right? Even that last category, which is biological anthropology, which is, uh, <laughs> which is kind of the area that I dwell in. But I... As I said, my kind of professional background is in archaeology, so I, I blend the last two branches uh, in a lot of my research. So we broke that very large question of how, what's the interplay over time of human biology and culture, and then we, so we broke that across four areas of study. Um, and again, the, the, the centralized pillar, though, in all of that is language, right? That's kind of the starting point. So uh, anthropology, uh, there's a 101 and a 102, something like that. And then after that, do, are they uh, able to branch out into these four different categories? Or we don't have that fully of a developed, since you are the department? <laughs> well, that, you know, that's the nice thing is that given my background is so general across all four of these branches, I'm able to bring to the table at least in the core courses of our major, you know, all four of those branches. And that's a requirement. And sometimes students who go into anthropology because they want to get into forensics or they want to get into archaeology or they want to study um, uh, culture, they want to maybe uh, work in, in a missions field, they'll say, well, why am I taking this other course? And, and I always explain to them because, you know, again, you're going to have to look at things holistically. You have to look at the, you know, the background of a people to understand their current values, Right. Uh, you have to take a look at their language today, but then you have to understand something about how it relates to the language communities around it, so on and so forth. So in the major, we have the, you know, the four disciplines or the four branches of research um, covered, and then they are able to emphasize it uh, as they move into their sophomore, junior year, senior year, in the area of study that they would like to pursue. And, um, and so we'll have an area in, in forensic anthropology, we'll have an area in archaeology, we'll have an area in cultural anthropology, and then we have electives um, that adds more. And, and are your students able to do any kind of research, too, under your guidance? Right. So that's been the, the tough thing for me is, is as it has grown, um, is being able to serve all of the different interests. Because in their senior year, um, and sometimes it'll even start in their junior year, uh, we require that they take some sort of a research course. This is setting aside three 
credit hours to meet with me, similar to an independent study, where they will um, design a study. They will uh, look at the different methods and techniques that they'll have to use. Uh, they will look at you know, potential sources of data. They'll collect data, preliminary data, test that. They'll look at the kinds of analysis that they'll, they'll have to do after it's been collected. And then in the senior year, we have a capstone, uh, which is our 495. And that is when they sew everything together, where they start to actually write uh, the results of their study. And I, I always tell students, you know, you don't have to write a, a large paper. It could be uh, presenting a poster or it could be uh, presenting at our research symposium or it could be running one of my classes. I've had students actually instruct classes as part of their capstone where they take the information that they've gathered and they then share it with other, other students and they get a feel for how that translates. Sure. Um, so maybe the next question is, uh, you know, give us kind of an example of something interesting from this field. I mean, we already talked about just going from more of a hunter-gatherer kind of thing to more cultivated farming. Um, you can pick whatever you want from your from your background or your study that would pique the interest of our of our of our listeners. Sure. Um, you know, it's it's uh, recently in our. Uh, in some of our discussions in class, uh, I brought up um, a famous kind of more recent saying, you know, it's, it's, it's the economy, stupid, right? Having to do with, you know, our current pol political landscape and uh, ultimately, you know, how people become part of that landscape. And uh, students are always asking, you know, why, why in every class that you teach, why are we talking about primates? And I, I kind of responded by saying, well, it's, it's the primate, stupid. Uh, and what's interesting about that is um, generally when anthropologists are looking at human beings, their complexities, and, and the, the unique adaptation that we call culture, what it is, how we define it, uh, we look back to uh, other complex mammals. And really the most complex of mammals that we have to study today, and unfortunately we have been blended into their taxonomy, um, are the are the great apes or are primates in general, and so uh, in uh, a few years ago we were able to uh, take a few students to Zambia. Uh, this is in the Copper Belt region, um, and uh, there's a, a colony of rescued chimpanzee that we worked with, and uh, there was another group there from uh, Gonzaga. Uh, and they were uh, from their psych department and they were looking at uh, behaviors uh, and they had a very formulaic process of how to do that. They would go from one area of the enclosure to the next and they would have almost uh, kind of these uh, notebooks where they would flip through uh, potential outcomes of behaviors that they were watching. But we did things a little differently as anthropologists and as students of anthropology. We uh, spent about two days um, acclimating or habituating ourselves to the primates that we were observing. Uh, and uh, many of the psych students would come up to us and say, well, why are you just sitting here with this one group for so long? Well, we, this is how we do it. We, we get to the point where they feel comfortable to be near us, uh, all the time realizing that these are dangerous animals. The chimpanzee are probably the most dangerous of all of the um, oh, well, other than ourselves, if we're going to throw ourselves into that order. But the chimpanzee are very dangerous. They, they will grab you and pull you into their enclosure, and they'll, 
I mean, while we were there, there was a graduate student just south of us um, working at another location that was pulled underneath one of the fences and was uh, mauled. Um, and so, but long story short, we habituate ourselves to these animals and then we start to observe them. And one of the things we were looking at, we collected about 10 hours of uh, film material. And I did have a, a quick question. Oh, and sure. I, I was going to throw it in when you mentioned them, but then you mentioned the mauling and I didn't want to seem insensitive. Okay. So I feel like we've given enough distance, right, that I'm not referring <laughs> to the mauling anymore because that sounds like a terrible thing. But um, would you say they're more or less likely to be aggressive uh, if Kid Rock is playing? I think they're going to get much more aggressive, right? I think they're going to get confused at first. But and our it, music, like our aggressive music, would also make oh, them aggressive. Oh, I definitely think so. You know, the worst thing you could do is probably provision or feed them. The minute you throw a, a really nice orange into a kind of an opening, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a mosh pit. It really uh, ends up being like that. And so if you threw Enter Sandman in with the oranges... Potentially with one of us and an orange, yeah, it's. I can't even predict how terrible that would be. Uh, yeah, it would that, be horrible. So I, I, I'm just, I'm throwing that out there so it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it should happen. Right. It's right. Off, off, off air. We did discuss how Ned would be very, very great for our next animal fight episode. So he's got some, <laughs> and just some one, insights that we don't. One have. related with that. Do you think chimpanzees? Uh, we've mentioned now, kind of human diet and how it's changed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that chimpanzees would eat the garbage that we eat now? Like they would oh, acclimate themselves definitely. to it fine? In fact, you think they would even prefer it to real food over time? Oh, it's yes. Like, yep. They have uh, the same kinds of you know taste receptors that we do. When we were yeah. there, Jane Goodall showed up um, with a chimpanzee that she had rescued from a circus, and uh, it was a chain smoker. Huh. So we, uh, we actually had uh, one of uh, the individuals who were traveling with us was also a smoker. And every time we would walk past the enclosure, uh, this, and he would light up, this uh, chimp would start to kind of bang things and, and w- try to get his attention and kind of reach out and, and want him to, to give them a cigarette. Huh. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they can do anything pretty much we can do. Uh, we do it even, better. We do even it better. though like, Bad stuff. I mean, like they can develop an unhealthy diet and, and like very much so. In fact, binge uh, on Netflix. Probably. Yeah. Okay. That would be an interesting study. But the you know the idea here too is that and this is something that Goodall recorded in in the mid to nineteen late nineteen sixties is that uh, the chimps will attack one another. I mean, they will. Um, in in terms of a let's say a male who's kind of rising up in their the social structure of their of their society, the male can. Uh, create alliances with other males and literally, you know, cleanse out the children of competitors uh, and do it in a very violent way. And so, yeah, they're they're very dangerous animals, and our students were well aware of that. Um, and uh, and so we we spent time habituating. We recorded all that material, but we were looking at specifically the females uh, because one of the things that we were interested in in taking a closer look at is how the behaviors of of females and how they interacted with their offspring were helping to socialize other members of that group because they are very complex. Um, And we were also looking at the role of play in how, um, in this case, brothers and sisters or uh, individuals of the same age cohort in terms of birth birth interval or birth age, uh, how they would, their play would help to socialize others into the group. Uh, And then as anthropologists, and this is 
what gets a little bit problematic when you're looking at what uh, our our worldview and my worldview. Uh, as anthropologists, then we take that information and we look to ourselves and we make some assumptions. We say, well, because of a um, accepted, again, accepted by the uh, the scientific community and accepted understanding that their biological heritage and our biological heritage at one point in time overlapped or had some sort of similar point of origin. Because of that, uh, we should see similarities in terms of anatomy, physiology, behavior, things like that. The other assumption that we make and, and what gives this kind of research uh, interest or what draws interest to it in the in the larger discipline is then we say well as we start to look at our own history biological history uh, there were primate like forms this is the assumption uh, very similar to the common chimp or bonobos uh, Are they called peters <laughs> potentially because right. when he when he doesn't <laughs> right. shave in the winter it kinda, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But they, uh, you know, the other assumption is that uh, by studying how they interact, at least similar forms today, we can understand something about how their societies were structured and so on and so forth because there's so much missing material. <laughs> now that, you know, again, gets us into a kind of a dilemma. I have a lot of students. I had a student one time that took my class. He would come into my lecture uh, every day on time. He would set his books down and he would kind of glare at me. And he kind of raised himself up in his chair like he was going to kind of rush the, you know, the front of class. And I always kind of uh, caught my eye and I tried to look away and, and go on with things. And at the end, he took his final. And then he, after his final was done, he took all of his books, the books he bought, by the way, and his notebooks and, and uh, binders. And he was staring at me the whole time and he walked over to the trash can and he just threw everything in the trash can and he walked out. And... Uh, I thought to myself, uh, you, you know, you kind of missed it, right? Um, sure, this probably, these topics probably offended him. Um, but what he didn't realize is that in science, this is the language of science, right? This is, this is what he'll, you'll be exposed to. And, and it's not meant to be a worldview. It's not meant to be a system of faith. Uh, it's not truth. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I always try to uh, help my students understand that, you know, how we explain the world around us and how we explain these behaviors and how we understand the origins of things in anthropology, we do get into a very kind of messy area. Uh, and we, in, we embrace and we study topics that are abhorrent uh, and are very worldly and very humanistic in nature. Um, but we also realize that there is a larger truth out there, and um, we appreciate that more so in terms of the kind of the larger kind of trajectory of our lives. Well, and I think you're, you're on to something good that we've perhaps fostered in, um, in our midst as American Christians that isn't always the most healthy and that's when we want theology to do science or science to do theology. Right, right. And, and both really become problematic when we, when we try to do that. Um, I, you know, I can kind of tell you're, you're trying to, to uh, uh, 
you know, make sure people understand that believes Genesis and things like this. <laughs> right. And and I think it's unfortunate that we have to spend so much time in qualifications yeah. when we realize that really, um, and I know I've I've heard others, you know, explain it this way when they're working in the in the sciences. There is a language to it. There's there's theories that we might mm-hmm. not accept biblically mm-hmm. um, that can yet be helpful for doing science right. and vocationally serving your neighbor then in right. that way, right? right. Why, why are anthropologists looking into culture? Well, I think this is where the Christian anthropologist comes into play. Mm-hmm. The Christian anthropologist isn't merely looking to anthropology to confirm the Bible. Mm. Um, that would be a rather unchristian thing to do um, since we have the Word, which mm-hmm. right, is Christ himself and faith um, is something that uh, we trust in the Word because it, it gives us Jesus. Um, you're looking at it to, as a vehicle to serve your neighbor, right? Why understand culture to better understand um, how culture develops, how, how I may serve my neighbor in that way? And I think that that's a valuable thing that we, I would, I would say we as pastors maybe even have done some unhelpful stuff in setting up this dynamic, you know, and I, I, I know I pick on um, the Duck Dynasty a lot on this, but, you know, like you're going to go and you're going to be in the science classroom and, uh you know, you're going to take your stand for Jesus. And, mm. Well, well, that's great, but now you just shut yourself off from a, a whole realm in which Christians might might well serve. Um, and at the same time, you got a, offended by things that ought not offend you, right? right? This is, right. our faith is not rooted in, faith that is offended by that, in essence, to some extent, is rooted in a post-enlightenment scientific view, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? You're giving science credence to do something that the Bible doesn't give it credence to do. And so I think sometimes we're in many ways more children of the enlightenment than we we realize. Um, You know, let your theology do theology and let science do science. Now, will that influence how a Christian does science, and I think we'll get to that at the end. My last question on these episodes usually is, what does it mean to be a Christian anthropologist? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean by that that now you look at anthropology and you find new data, but but Mm -hmm. why use it? Mm -hmm. But I think that is a helpful reminder that you give, is uh, we we want to be able to engage even things we disagree with, because sometimes in doing so, we can be better equipped to serve our neighbor Amen. and even come to a better understanding of the, of the world in the end, right? Not to confirm something that's non-biblical, right. Right. Um, but these can lead to bigger observations that draw us even more into the mm-hmm. wonder of God's creation. And I think connected to that, too, we can really set up our children to fall from faith over things they ought not mm-hmm. when we make. Um, and I know, Mike, this is something you and I would butt heads about a little bit with apologetics earlier on, and I'll admit you've you've won me over, and I think maybe I've moved you a little bit um, on this too. But, you know, uh, part of the reason I historically was leery of apologetics was because I was just sick of people always wanting to debate creation evolution. Mm. And, you know, that that would come up often early in a Bible information class, God could... And then you never get to Jesus, and you're like, wait right. a second, these people just rejected Christianity for all the, you know, um, the outside of the circle stuff. Surely. They never got to the Surely. to the actual hub of the wheel. And I think uh, when when we send students off to think, well, the, the second you start to have questions about this or that, you know, scientific view right. um, that we pull from the scriptures. Uh, 
we kind of give them a faith that's more fragile than it need to be. Mm-hmm. So none of this is this. And I, I had to do last episode though to make clear. I don't deny the third use of the law. <laughs> I'm not denying right. Genesis. Right. I'm not denying uh, Genesis one through three. Amen. Um, yeah. But I am saying we we live in a world where this is this is how we study things, and. Um, if we're just going to insulate ourselves and refuse to see what others are thinking or, or what theories there are that sometimes even may be useful, um, rather than that being a uh, a sign of a confidence of faith, maybe it it's, it can really be evidence of, a, in some ways, a lack of faith or a lack of trust for the, the power of the... Yeah, you're afraid word. of the truth. Don't be afraid of the truth, right? You know, well, or I'm trying to fight... I'm trying to fight for this truth versus that truth mm. and, and just let it go and be confident that it, uh, it'll work out. Uh, maybe just one thing. Uh, when we kind of say stay in your lane, theology needs to stay in its lane. And what we mean by that is, um, well, exactly what you said. When theology starts to do anthropology, it's going to be bad anthropology. And when anthropology starts to do theology, it's going to be just bad theology. Mm. What we do not mean, though, is that there's two separate truths, as in, um, okay, the hard sciences over here and the soft sciences are over there. Part of the problem is that the hard sciences, for lack of a better term, have have not been faithful, I think, think to the roots of science, which said, here's, here's, a, here's a wall around what can be considered truth, and it needs to be falsifiable, or it needs to be, can be experimental, all, all that kinds of stuff. And there's problems with that philosophy. And so part of the problem is that sometimes hard scientists should have taken a philosophy course, mm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and say, okay, the, there are certain things that I cannot... I cannot I cannot answer the big questions of origin mm-hmm. by looking at this. Not because um, there's some Bible thumper telling me no. It's just that's I just can't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't have I, I need to do some philosophy there. And then on the other side, um, you know I don't look at Genesis one and two and then just try to beat that over the head of the scientist by giving an arbitrary line that says you can't go past this line. Uh, that's not fair to mm. that discipline. And as you said, it sets us up for failure in faith and also puts a wall, an unnecessary wall between uh, the skeptic and and the truth of Christ. Well, and here's the interesting thing, too. When our students are exposed uh, to, to the data, they're able to look at it critically. I always challenge them to look at everything um, that they are exposed to in my classes, especially through a very critical lens, things like sample size, right? Starting out with kind of the low-hanging fruit. Um, and then some of the assumptions that we're making, right? Uh, you hear uh, statistics where they, they talk about um, the great apes and the amount of genetic similarity that exists between them and human beings. Well, if you take that at face value, it's a, it's a pretty big concept, right? It, it does lean you toward common ancestry. But then when you start to take a look at how, you know, amino acids uh, in the cytoplasm of a cell are attached to various kinds of translations as, you know, as, as coding is, is occurring, as, as you start to look at how proteins are forming and the actions of those proteins, uh, you start to realize that that's, that how the genetic material behaves is very different, Things that are uh, of positive value 
uh, in the genome of a chimpanzee are a deleterious trait in a human genome, right? Uh, and you also start to realize that there is a, a good structure for a lot of things. You don't have to have a separate design for every task at hand in the natural world. And that uh, God is an amazing uh, intellectual being uh, that um, has created very wonderful systems that function. Uh, and uh, he's stuck with it. And, uh, and so... Uh, the idea here is that, well, it's usually it's not that high of a percentage of similarity. Uh, it's much smaller than that. Uh, and there is no identical kind of one-to-one -one overlap between these genomes. And as students start to get exposed to that and they start to learn about red blood cells and they start to learn about antigens and all these other uh, concepts or disease and how it transfers, uh, they start to realize that, wait a minute, that's an assumption that you can't make. And they start to see that the the, the truths of the infallible word uh, make a lot of sense uh, and that there are a lot of areas that science still needs to pursue. They still need to test and retest before we can lift uh, scientific concepts up to the level of, of that, that, that absolute truth. There's, there's a lot of info still to be discovered. Right, and it's unfolding. Through, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, with the genes, DNA, the brain, yeah. all of that. Um, you know. and, and so both sides, like, just hold on before mm -hmm. we start. Well, and I think they wouldn't bombs. have got to that point if they hadn't explored the things, right? This is, right. you know, God, yeah. we're just, well, we talked about this a little bit with Marty with travel, but it's just, I know it's not literally in our DNA, so I'm being figurative, right? But it's in our DNA to be um, inquiring, creative, exploring people, mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's it makes sense for us to want to figure things out, and rather than shut yourself off from those things, mm -hmm. um, exploring it can actually then, as you said, be a value for leading us right. to see something. Some, sometimes, not everything is as cut and dry mm -hmm. as we think. And I always share with students that you know the the basis of these two views, and they're not even to that level, right? We have we have our, our biblical worldview, which is a, a worldview. Science is not that, right? We've made it into that, unfortunately. We've politicized it. We've done all these things. Uh, but they're grounded on, or they're, they're rooted in different foundations. Um, and uh, the, the, you know, the kind of the building blocks of science are things that are very tenuous. Uh, you look at a textbook from the 1950s compared to today, you've seen the impact of discovery. Um, and of improvements in instrumentation and all these other things. You look at the, the Bible, and it's timeless. Right? And so, you know, here we have, and I, it's funny because I, when I first started college, I was really wrestling with the Lord. Uh, I was not, I don't think, in a, in a good place in my faith life. And he was calling to me, and he was pursuing me. And um, when I came to faith, uh, early in my college career, I was able to very easily silo these two areas because I knew their, the functionality of these two concepts and the one that really mattered, which was, which was the one that put Christ at the center of all things. Um, and so, you know, timelines didn't bother me. And I didn't try to, as Wade had pointed out, try to, you know, force things into uh, this kind of compatibility model. Um, I just... I framed it in a way that um, looked at science as this developing 
you know, over time kind of creative process of observing, measuring, explaining, and in a sense, predicting. And then I looked at um, the role of faith in my life as one that rooted me in truth and helped me to connect to my Lord uh, and to God himself. And, you know, it's just... No, that's a beautiful story. And and I think that's something a lot of Christians don't understand who have not, you know, the last, you know, science course they take was, was, you know, chemistry in high school, is there are certain um, ways of doing science, so a hypothesis, that kind of stuff, can can you have a formula that predicts things and and often that has some evolutionary um, uh, foundations to it so we're, sure. so we're thinking about okay um, our like we talked about our food and, and how it changes maybe even changes our DNA well there, there's a there's a structure there of assuming evolution so that we can make predictions that doesn't mean that if a, a scientist who is Christian, is using that same kind of way of doing science mm-hmm. that they totally agree with the presuppositions, exactly. and and that's okay because we're, we, at some point, we are guessing, and some of these things are theories, and mm-hmm. that's okay. That's mm-hmm. all right. The, the, all the data is not in just yet, right. and I think maybe for that student was I need a pre, the presupposition should be a six twenty four hour creation. Otherwise, I'm not going to even talk to you about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that's just unfair, and it's not – you can't just assume that everybody is going to now accept that. And, and you can well, still and it, do it, science. It ignores even the, the fact that theology throughout its history has at times used Aristotle <laughs> and Plato. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's used language that Christians did not create. Mm-hmm. Um, it has used illustrations, mm-hmm. um, you know, that – oftentimes come from a culture that's not uh, of complete Christian origins. We've long recognized that there's things that can be brought in service of the gospel. Now, that's not to say we should do all our theology according to Plato, right? We've no, seen no, where people right. have gotten in trouble with mm-hmm. that and Augustine, right? Uh, or all of it according to Aristotle. We see where Aquinas, you know, went a little bit afield with that. Sometimes theology can get way deep in linguistic theory and kind mm. of lose its focus on Christ. But I think there's something important to that. I, I think we sidetracked you a, a little bit. It's part of the process. It's part mm-hmm. of the process to say, okay, this is my framework, and okay, maybe this framework doesn't work here, so we tweak the framework or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's never going to be perfect in a sinful world, and okay. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think we maybe sidetracked you a little bit, but... um. So the the chimpanzees, the culture, any anything especially interesting that's right. come out so, of that? Right. So so when we had completed our uh, kind of data collection and we were looking at uh, the role that uh, women and their relationships were playing, female chimpanzee and their relationships that, um, were playing in the in the socialization of offspring, and then the role uh, of play, we found that uh, actually, um, you know, if there was a, a long term or historic connection between females, uh, provisioning for one another, uh, sleeping near each other, uh, grooming, things like this, a wide range of of behaviors, that uh, their children would manifest similar kinds of practices, uh, and that uh, if there was an age difference in the children, that uh, very often the older um, child would play in such a way as to reinforce uh, different kinds of food collecting traditions and things like that in the younger offspring. And then that was playing a, a really important role 
Because originally, when a lot of anthropologists were looking at how these societies were functioning, they would take a very uh, uh, kind of a dual approach. They would look at the role of the male, the role of the female, uh, and they would kind of uh, identify the female's role as, as a primary socializer, and it, it occurred this way, and, and there were no other kind of variables at work in that. But we were seeing a lot more at play, uh, literally, in that research. And so the students were fascinated by that, and it, and it helped many of them to see uh, that even in our own growth and development as children, uh, that it's more than just the, the role-playing that we see in our parents. There are a wide variety uh, of forces that are at work uh, that help to shape us. And uh, even in our church communities, one of the things that I see quite a bit uh, is... Um, uh, cooperation between parents. So uh, a parent will say, "Well, I'm gonna. I'll pick up Sally for you. I know you work late tonight, and I'll drop her off at your house." Uh, well, clearly there's a connection between the parents. There is Sally's familiar with uh, the friends of her parents, uh, and uh, those friends play important roles in Sally's development. Uh, the you know the church community itself is is amazing because it's giving uh, children uh, a wide range of um, socializing uh, features. Uh, not only does it provide them with a sense of, of right and wrong, it gives them a sense of belief, it gives them a sense of faith, but it also helps them to realize who they are, their identity, their role in life, uh, how they can contribute to the world around them, uh, the relationships that uh, develop and uh, good and bad relationships. So. So our students were able to kind of see uh, that there was more than, than just what they were uh, observing on the surface in these interactions, that there were deeper um, kind of uh, behavioral roots that were being planted. Uh, so, and, uh, so we worry a lot about our kids' friends, but maybe we should be worried about our friends too. Right. They're part of the equation. Yeah. And this is why I only on, in desperate, desperate times do I let Wade pick up my daughter from high school. <laughs> I have asked her when I'm driving, I'll say, uh, so who's the safer driver, mom or dad? And and so they, they say, you're the safer driver. Um, they say mom gets a little worked up. And uh, and I said, well, am I as safe as mom? And their answer was almost. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> the uh, One of the, the questions, as I mentioned, that I like to ask in these uh, episodes, and that is why a Christian or – as a Christian uh, apologist, because Mike and I like to take a, a vocational look at a lot of these things, too. So we're not, just maybe to, to rephrase it, uh, we're not talking about you as a Christian anthropologist, but an anthropologist who happens who is a, to be right. Christian. Right. So, for instance, right. not, if I were to talk about, uh, you know, a Christian artist, I don't mean that they have to be doing Jesus paintings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but an artist who happens to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. What uh, what do you find in this discipline, or, or what do you think students find, or you maybe encourage them to look for as Christians, um, as anthropology, as a, a vehicle for serving neighbor? Okay, and I, there's a little bit of a story behind this, so I apologize ahead of time. So uh, one evening, my wife and I were um, in our apartment, and uh, I uh, we were watching, uh, I think it was Charles Stanley, and I know I've already violated a, uh, a rule there by just saying his name. So I apologize ahead of time. But we were watching one of his sermons, and uh, he was bringing up this idea of vocation. You know, how, how is God working through you? How are you contributing uh, to the world around you in a way that is Christ-like, so on and so forth? And uh, I kind of was convicted at that point, and I turned to her 
uh, and I, I said, I don't, you know, it's funny, uh, since I came to know the Lord in my kind of later, well, I guess early adulthood, uh, you know, he's helped me to thrive in this discipline that on the surface seems to be diametrically opposed to everything that I believe in. And uh, we talked a little bit about that, and I, I went over to the computer at the time, and I typed in, I think it was um, Christianity, Anthropology, Oh, there was one other search word, but the first website that popped up was Wisconsin Lutheran College. Uh, it was a uh, faculty development page and a faculty search page that Dr. Anderson had put together. And they were looking for instructors in a variety of fields, including anthropology, and I just broke down because that moment he kind of answered um, this kind of loud prayer that I was throwing out to him. and. Uh, I realize I came to realize that um, you know no matter what the subject is, if you do it to glorify God, and if you do it to serve Him and to serve the people around you, uh, to uh, pursue and live a life that is Christ-like in nature in that way, that you can that you can ultimately make a difference. And so when I came here, I realized that uh, you know we can pray with students. Uh, we can start our lectures out with prayer and with with scripture. Um, we don't have to be. We don't have to hide our faith. Um, and um, I started to realize that I was able to challenge students to think critically about uh, a lot of the foundational principles in my discipline, um, as I did. And uh, I think that's where the the Christian anthropology or the anthropologist who is a Christian starts to emerge. The idea that um, I can look at all of these wonderful discoveries um, in archaeology, I can look at language studies, I can look at the study of living cultures, I can see how we're recording traditions for to preserve them, how we are studying primates, so on and so forth. But I can do it in, in such a way as to realize that um, you know, it is part, as Wade said, of our inquisitive nature and that uh, we can reach others with uh, the truth of, of God, of his creation, of his creativeness, and of his love for us. Um, and many of our students have gone on to have uh, pretty life-changing conversations with non-believers who have put, who have raised, in a sense, um, evolutionary biology to a system of faith and have used these very tiny details, uh, the age of the planet, for example, to wholly reject um, a faith tradition like Christianity. And so uh, we've equipped them with this knowledge. I've been able to share this knowledge with them, and we've been able to make a difference uh, in, in the world around us. Interestingly enough, our research and our work with primates has resulted in students interested in uh, conservation. The idea that looking at these animals as being rescued, looking at these animals as ultimately being uh, having a poor conservation status and, and protecting them, right? Uh, protecting this wonderful aspect of God's creation. And so I think that's kind of how it's all you know, fit together for me. So, so not giving them Marlboro cigarettes? <laughs> right, not giving them cigarettes, right? Or coffee. Uh, ironically, the same primate was addicted to coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> and she had that every morning. Did they maybe get it addicted to coffee first, and then they're like, it's way it was too the amped, gateway. we need to get it to chill. Yeah. 
And then they yeah, thought the it was cigarettes a gateway to would the cigarettes, calm, yeah. calm yeah. it down. Or? Yeah. And, the, and the primate was always trying to escape, too. So I had like in college those. kind of a remember that Vibrin like to give you energy to study, <laughs> and I got in a real nasty cycle. I'd take the Vibrin to study, and then I have to take Nyquil to go to sleep. Yep. And so yep. maybe it Same was like thing. coffee, cigarette type yep. thing with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. I and, and you know it, it, I've been able to share my faith with my colleagues openly now outside of campus, um, just because you know the Lord has allowed me to. Uh, kind of freely pursue science and to uh, freely love him and uh, admire what he's done in terms of creating everything. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain sense of freedom there where you know where you're going, you know yeah. you know that there's an order to things and there's a freedom from trying to always defend God. He doesn't need your defending, Amen. right? You know, so we, you know, technically call it a theodicy and, in, in, well, specific thing, but sort of a theodicy where uh, my goal as a Christian a- anthropologist is to go win over, um, win over the discipline for Jesus, mm. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, you know, all things belong to him already. <laughs> exactly. We're good to go. Yeah. And uh, I think probably very refreshing for your colleagues outside, you know, in a secular university to find somebody who's Christian mm. and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And and this doesn't, you know, it doesn't blow blow your faith up just because right. there's, there's something that questions your faith. Um, because all they see probably unfortunately and un, um, and not accurately is this worldview of Christians that is anti-science and that's not that's not a fair right. depiction but right. it's certainly out there mm-hmm. well and imagine and, if God like in his wisdom made a creation where he made people so inquisitive and creative and explorative that they could notice that he also made other creatures who were social creatures. Mm-hmm. And then that human beings, the crown of his creation, could Amen. guilt-free, absolved in Jesus, look at them and say, hey, they're social creatures, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can learn things about rudimentary culture and mm-hmm. how socialization happens from that without having to take the leap of, right. hey, you know, uh, we some evolutionary step mm-hmm. um i think there's you know we do that all the time we look right. at uh, if i have two dogs and i have one on one side of a door and the other on the other you know i've locked one out and they're crying i look at that and go oh they miss each other well i'm assigning a, a human mm-hmm. thing i do to that dog i'm by no means saying you know i evolved from that animal right. that i know right. full well eats its own feces in the backyard um <laughs> <laughs> it uh and i think you know there's it's it's interesting to see to be able to look at that and what a god who gives us a creation where we can look at his creation and learn more mm-hmm. about ourselves um and we do this with dna right there's dna behind everything we don't say well there can't be any such thing as dna because we have dna there's other animals with hair mm-hmm. um you know True it hair, i right. think that there's a value in in what you're doing and uh and value beyond simply knowing that a, a chimp can get addicted to coffee and cigarettes which yep. in Just its like own us. way is somewhat reassuring <laughs> though isn't it that we're not the uh we're not the only the only creatures who can say coffee. you know i need my morning coffee and i'll admit i'm asthmatic <laughs> so this cigarette thing is not as appealing for me no and it's not um, good for you but it is good to know that um not only is kid rock able to cross um economic and racial boundaries in america <laughs> right but, also, but even species, uh, species and genus yeah. yeah 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 and i you know i think one day studying primates 
uh, to better understand ourselves is great. And I hope one day that uh, we will, through that process, figure out the mind of Wade <laughs> and figure out why he does the things that he does. Often we, in the theology department, we wonder that. Like, it's just Wade, and we shrug our shoulders. Well, we've got the coffee thing set. I imagine so. if you could get a chimp and train it to do... Like, see what extent of my, what I actually do, you could train it to do. I would guess a fair amount, like, to come in my office, close the door, and hang up my not now sign. I bet a chimp could do that. Yeah, right. It's the grading. Uh, yeah. That's where you really are going to Although shine. Although I think in some ways the chimp could grade as well as I grade. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're coming down to the deadline finals time, I think if you gave him my Microsoft Surface and the pen, right. it could probably just make marks that are very hard to read. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good capstone uh, project. <laughs> there you go. Right. And I, I'm guessing it could walk down and bug Mike frequently <laughs> when he's working, like be bored and go down and like, uh-huh, <laughs> Specifically, p- play music that I have uh, already stated. I, I don't like. I loudly. could teach it to play Counting Crows. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, I don't. I don't want us to take you uh, too long with you, and I hope we can get you back on because I think there'd be some fun stuff. I would love to have you on sometime uh, to talk about immigration a little bit with charter groups because I know I've done oh, some surely. stuff with the Germans and the Bennett Law in mm-hmm. the eighteen eighties uh, and nineties in. Uh, in Milwaukee, and you've done some stuff with the Irish, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, is just to kind of plug maybe a, another time that we can talk, um, we have just uh, been looking at now um, an archaeological site in the Washington County area uh, that's associated with a small uh, homestead of um, Pomeranian Germans uh, who came to... Which Professor Deutschlander from MLC would have said is its own evolutionary kind of... Group. Right there. Yeah, <laughs> but so they, he always joked that we were a bunch of Pomeranians because I think he had Saxon roots, and he would say, you know, mouth breathing, knuckle drag. I oh, apologize man. to the Pomeranians. My wife, by the way, uh, we looked does have Pomeranian roots. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting because we're hoping to reopen that site to understand something about uh, their households uh, and how they express their ethnicity and their faith in their everyday items, their the the wares of their homes. So um, who knows? And we'd love to have a faculty day out there so we bring your children out and uh, we can hand you guys trowels and and uh, give you an idea of, of how the, the archaeology works and, and how we collect our data there. But it's great because it ties into so much of what we're looking at here in terms of our uh, the history of our church and how we have been able to, in a sense, uh, uh, deal with religious persecution um, and how we're able to express ourselves, our faith, uh, through through our lifestyles. And so we're hoping that maybe that will flourish. Well, and I think a, a lot of these things, and then I'll stop, and Mike, you can close it down for us. Hopefully you've to- reminded Ned what he's supposed to say at the end. But uh, I read a really interesting book, and I'm not agreeing with everything in it. I'm agreeing with very little in it, but have you, uh, it's called Religious Aphex. I should share it with you. Oh. And it gets at, can animals have religion? And oh, it kind of wow. looks at, you know, chimps dancing under a waterfall, sure. and they seem to have these religious activities. Um. <clears throat> So I didn't, and uh, Adam Morton is the one who put me onto that book. So I'll, you know, <laughs> almost any like weird book I'm reading, Adam Morton uh, has told me I should check out. But one of the things that's interesting that it got me thinking about it, and Mike, I need to ask permission to use one of your words, is physicality, right? We're physical people. We live in we mm. we live and work and learn in space and with, right? There are things uh, that we communicate beyond language, mm. um, and they're very important things we learn. Um, simply by immersion in, you know, uh, seeing each other's emotions or body language. Mm -hmm. And and as Christians, we recognize that. We have a whole divine service, a liturgy 
that historically has been built around physical motions and 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 these things having me someone so's kneeling because mm-hmm. you know this or that mm-hmm. and and um and I think anthropology has some fun stuff it can do with that too. Of, oh, very much so. You know, yeah. as we incul- obviously that we inculcate the faith through the word, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we know that teaching takes place, instruction takes place beyond simply the word. Mm-hmm. If I teach the catechism to someone, but I spend the whole time looking like someone shot my dog, mm-hmm. you know, right. that I'm teaching more than just the catechism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that's fun stuff that you're doing as well. So um, maybe I can just briefly run through all the disclaimer and apology stuff so i'm going to apologize we're getting a little ringside with the preacher men here but i apologize to pomeranians okay to my wife all right um to chimpanzees to i don't kid think rock, they mind kid rock would mind yeah probably. to mike what because you're always bothering me you admitted bothering me yeah well, I, well i'm not apologetic for that that's bonding okay that's because you're my friend buddy um we uh affirm genesis amen we uh uh, I don't think we really took a a harsh stance on um, chimps as a whole, but we're no. against m- the mauling grad students. Exactly. We do not want that to happen. Um, we're for Christianity. We mm-hmm. think that's good. We love science. We love theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we dig them both doing their thing. Uh, and in the end of the day, when it comes down to uh, what we believe about God and, and our uh I'm real hesitant about the worldview word. This is a mic word, and I—I I know I, I know, use that a lot too. I, well, that's okay. It's not a bad word, but there's I, just nothing else, right? So, uh, but we're when it comes to whatever we want to call it, if we want to use worldview, right? That's going to be shaped by our faith, and our mm. faith is going to come through the scriptures. But at the same time, uh, we're for uh, people having a strong faith and realizing uh, that they're full of a world that's not just out to get them and they can maybe weather these things so was that any apologies or anything i'm forgetting or affirmate we do we affirm genesis yes i do too and so we we thank uh dr farley for coming on here and it's just such a a what about habakkuk do we we affirm habakkuk too right yeah but we didn't bring bring that up (laughs) i was just joking i was trying to pick a book that people would what about first nephi um, no, we do not affirm that. That's the Book that. of Mormon? Okay. <laughs> now, uh, so we, we do thank Dr. Farley for coming on, and it's it's such an um, inspiration to see somebody working in their vocation, understanding that they are saved by Jesus Christ and this world has been given back to them. It has been given back to us to enjoy, to explore, guilt-free. And um, with all of that done that Jesus has done for us, there's really nothing left to do but... Let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. I set them up, another round. One more round won't get me down.